0: All right, we're going to finish up this morning. We've been going through a series on um, living a prophetic life and what it means to live as a prophetic people, and we're going to finish that up today, and we get to talk about false prophets. Ooh, sound like fun? Yeah. False prophets. Are you scared? No. no. Good. How many of you have missed some of the series that we've been going through? Anybody missed some of that stuff? Okay, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're, you're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. It's, it's really been a teaching series that we've been going through, but uh, as much as anything else, when, I love the prophetic. I love the, how it flows. I love how it moves. I love how it is on the body of Christ in general and how prophecy can just flow like a river. I love that. I want to see it released more and more, and I want to grow in it even more than I've been released in it myself. Anybody else with me on that? Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's good sometimes to take opportunity to really break this stuff down because... If we don't, what we end up learning about prophecy and prophetic culture is simply a, a place that you enter into and you start taking on the affectations and how people do things and not really understand what the prophetic is about. What is the prophetic for? It's to encourage, right? To edify, to build up. That's what it's for. And how many say in here, I could use some of that? Yeah. Well, if you don't know how to prophesy, why don't you get in front of your mirror and start trying it on yourself first? Start trying it on yourself. Just start reading the word of the Lord, getting into what he says about you, who you are. Get in front of the mirror and start prophesying over yourself. It'll stir you up on the inside so that when you see somebody else, you'll be able to prophesy over them. So we've been going through this series talking about the office of a prophet, the gift of prophecy, all this. And I want to end up this week on uh, what, what false prophets are. Because a lot of times, even with prophecy, we try to define a new covenant prophet by old covenant principles. And it doesn't work like that. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Have you ever heard of it's, it said in your life, in a church or in a culture that you've been in, that if somebody gives a prophecy and it turns out to not be true, they're a false prophet? Anybody ever heard that? Yeah, a lot of us have. The problem is that's not really true. That's an old covenant reality. The reason why is because in the Old Covenant, Holy Spirit did not rest on the people. He was on an individual. Holy Spirit would bring a message to the prophet, someone who walked in the office of a prophet, and that word was not even perceived, it was received. It would come in, and they would get the direct, accurate word of the Lord in order to go deliver it to the people of God. You guys still with me, right? They would deliver it to the people of God. The reason why there was such a strong... um, Uh, penalty for prophets if they had the wrong word is because the people had no ability to understand if it was really God or not. In New Testament, New Covenant realities, we still have the prophet and the office of a prophet, and we need it. But we have inside of the body of Christ, Holy Spirit, which we are able to judge and perceive what is going on with it, right? Isn't this a good thing? And I've said before in times past that whenever somebody comes with a prophetic word... That we have to judge it. 1 Corinthians 14 talks about that. Let two or three prophets speak, let the others judge. So the word has to be judged, but it's not judged just on, is it Holy Spirit or demonic? There's so much more to it. It's judged on, is it Holy Spirit or is it human spirit? Is this the right time for this to be delivered? Oftentimes a word can be had by an individual and it's just simply not the right time for it to be delivered. Do you remember the things that we had talked about in the church? Whenever Holy Spirit brings something to you in prophecy, what are the questions you ask yourself that help you? Is it for now? Is it for me? Is it for everybody? What was it? Is it for the body? Right. Is it for now? Is it for me? Is it for the body? What's it for? Run, learn to run when you're hearing the Lord. Run those things through a filter. That way you know. Part of what we do here in the church is we have what we call checkpoints. Now, these people are not the super elite. They're just people that we know because we're in tight-knit relationship with these people. One of them happens to be my wife. Aren't you glad I'm in tight-knit relationship with her? Yeah. She's starting to trust me a little bit. It's getting a little easier. She lets me get up here and speak a little more often. You know, and she's like, all right, I'll let you go this time. Uh, Checkpoints. Who are you you in here? Lift your hands. You know who you are. There's a few people that we have in here. I just want you to see who these people are. Why? Because we want the prophetic to flow. We want it like crazy. But we want checkpoints, too, to see, is this really the right time? Is that the right word? To help judge that together. And by the way, these checkpoint people, they check with other people, too. So they're not the elite. We don't have a hierarchy kind of thing here where it's like these are the, you know, they're going to wear their crowns and be, I am the one. I am the filter that the word will be released. It's not like that. We don't have that. What we want is before things just start getting released out there. Because you know how it is. Once things get released, you can't take them back. (laughs) And we've had that happen because we allow room for things to go wrong. We allow for things to be said that may not be perfect, but that's okay. Proverbs says, "Where there is no oxen, the stall is clean, but much work comes from the use of an ox." Anybody ever have animals? Yeah, we got chickens. We have rabbits. I actually have a chicken and a rabbit in my bathtub right now. Don't ask. It's like, it's constantly Easter. (laughs) That was bad. Sorry. I can't back that one up. Can I? (laughs) Okay. Got it back. All right. I don't even know how I got there. Anyway, let's go back to this. Yes. The oxen, oxen, yes. It's clean. It's clean when there's no ox, but when you got an ox, it... It gets messy, and church simply is messy. I'm not interested in having perfect order anymore. We did that before. I'm not interested in that. I'm more interested in finding the heart of God, and in doing so, things can get a little bit dirty. But what that requires of us as a people is to become mature people, unoffendable hearts. There is absolutely no reason for any believer to ever be offended. Did you know that? Ever. Ever. Under any circumstance, is there ever any time for us to be offended at anything? Well, what if someone were to come in here and start disparaging the name of our Lord and Savior? He's a big boy. (laughs) He's a big boy. He can take care of it. I'm sure he's heard everything there is. That doesn't offend him. As a matter of fact, it breaks his heart. Not because somebody's trying to say something against him. Because he's saying, man, if you only really knew who I was. So for us as believers, unoffendable hearts is part of growing into maturity. I want to be a mature believer. Mature believers are not distinguished by how much scripture they can quote. They're not. Can, you, can anybody in here come up and give me a dissertation on the six disp- dispensations? Anybody want to try? I don't even want to try. That's not important. What's really important is that we learn to grow in oneness and intimacy with the Lord. Because when we grow in intimacy with the Lord, we begin to speak what He speaks, see what He sees, say what He says, go where He goes. That's maturity. As a matter of fact, I really do believe that discipleship in our Western world, in our church, our Western church especially, has been set up in such a way that we front load people with information. You take this class... You go through this book, you read this, you do this study, and you get more and more information. And we think that that means a mature believer. It doesn't mean a mature believer. If maturity was defined by how much you know of the Bible, then the devil would be the smartest person around. He knows the Word. Maturity is not defined by building one on top of the other. Maturity is defined by bringing down. It brings down this mindset. It brings down that mindset. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. That's Christian maturity right there. Christian maturity is having the renewed mind where you're consistently and constantly before the Lord saying, what I think I know to be true, God, I'm even giving you permission to wreck that and show me something else. It's a constant tearing down until you get down to a nothingness where you can say, I don't even know what I don't know anymore. I don't even know what I don't know. There's all kinds of things I don't know, I don't understand. But this I know, this one thing I know, I've said this before, but I think it's wonderful. I have a friend in Nashville, Tennessee, who when we started the church up there, he uh, really wasn't walking all that close with the Lord, ended up going through some pretty hard times in his life, went through a divorce, and it was very, very difficult for him. But you know what he decided to do? Instead of getting all introverted on it, he said, you know what? I'm going to deal with my stuff. I'm just going to deal with this stuff, and I'm going to get better. And in doing so, He started reading his Bible looking for Jesus. What a concept, right? (laughs) Started reading his Bible looking for Jesus. And you know what? He found him. Because he wasn't looking for information. He was looking for him. And he found him. And he would start sharing with his friends, this is what I found. And you know what? I decided after watching him for a while that that's probably the most mature believer in our church there. Because he didn't know much about the Bible. Even to this day when I talk to him on the phone, he misquotes scripture all the time. He puts the wrong address on it. It's it's all the time. But you know, you can feel the heart of God coming out in something like that. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? There's the heart of God that comes out in that, that just speaks so deep to an individual. I've said it before. You don't read your Bible to learn. You read it to hear. Don't read your Bible to learn. Read it to hear. Jesus says, the words that I speak to you, they're spirit and life. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. When we take this word and we turn it into principles and programs, we're killing people. I can find doctrines in this scripture when I read things. I I can find wonderful doctrines in there, but I have to hold things very loosely in my hand. Because oftentimes the Lord will speak to me. You know what I'm talking about, right? The Lord will speak to you through a passage of scripture, but then you read it later and it says something completely different to you. Why? It's spirit and life. It's an amazing thing about this word. As long as it's been around, nobody can grasp it. There's even apparent contradictions in here. You can't enter the kingdom unless you become as a little child. And then another one says, The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Well, which one is it? Yep. <laughs> right? That's it. Where does it get applied? It does. You, it's a matter of hearing the Lord. So in all of this that we've been talking about, prophetic... Insight, living as a prophetic people, it's all about hearing the Lord and understanding that when we can hear something, but how we deliver it, when we deliver it is critically important. Matthew 5, and this week we're talking about false prophets. Matthew five seventeen says, Jesus says he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. You don't have to turn there right now. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He didn't come to destroy them. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So think about this for a minute. We know what the law is. And we know that the person of Jesus, when he came on the scene, he fulfilled everything that the law was pointing to. Hebrew shows us that really well. That all the things before were a shadow of the things to come. When Jesus comes on the scene, he's the exact representation of the things that were shadows before. So when he comes on the scene and he says, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill them. That makes me ask a question. If Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets then what we have as an Old Testament prophet we don't need anymore. He's fulfilled it. Just like I said. They had Holy Spirit speaking to them, but the church, the, 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 the people did not have it. Now we have it. It's a completely different model now. Jesus fulfilled the role of the Old Testament prophet. John the Baptist, the one who came before him, the forerunner, the breaker that came before him. Jesus says of him, of all the prophets, there's none greater than who? John the Baptist. But John but he also goes on to say he who is least in the kingdom is greater than him. Hmm. There is some kind of shift that happened between the person of Jesus, the cross itself, new covenant and old covenant. And if we drag old covenant realities into the new covenant, we're going to continue to live by law. We're not going to fully embrace this thing called the body of Christ, and I know you guys hear me talk about this all the time. I am all about the body of Christ. I am all about the body of Christ. We looked at it before. The gifts that are given. Romans 12, gifts of the Father. 1 Corinthians 12, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, gifts of Jesus himself. There's three different sets of gifts. In all instances in Scripture, immediately after the gifts are revealed, it goes into the body. Why? Because these things are not meant to be toys. They're tools, right? Right? You guys saw the movie, right? Chronicles of Narnia. The sleigh comes up, right? You guys see the movie? You know what I'm talking about, right? Do you know who that was in the movie? It was Holy Spirit. There was a picture of Holy Spirit in the movie. He comes up in his sleigh, and he pulls out of his bag these things, and he's given to individuals. He gave to one a sword, right? Gives to another one. To Lucy, he gives healing, right? There was a couple of other things he gave out there. Why is he doing that? That's a picture of Holy Spirit giving gifts. And what are they? They're free. You can't earn them. You can't earn them. So everything shifted with the person of Jesus Christ taking old covenant prophets. He fulfilled that completely. Now we have a new covenant prophet, and it looks completely different. In Acts chapter 19, you don't have to turn to these. We'll get to something in a moment here. Paul meets a group of believers, and he asks them, have you received Holy Spirit? And they said, we don't even know what you're talking about. What do you mean, have we received Holy Spirit? He said, well, whose baptism were you baptized in? And he goes, John the Baptist. And he goes, ah, okay. That was a baptism of repentance. The baptism of Jesus is a baptism of resurrection. You see the difference? And John the Baptist, old covenant prophet, baptizing people, baptism of repentance. Jesus comes on the scene, and the baptism that we have through him has changed. It's not just about repentance. It's about resurrection. If there's no resurrection, 1 Corinthians tells us we of all people are most pitiable. We're the worst people off on this planet if there's no resurrection. Everything galactically shifted with the person of Jesus Christ. John, he comes on the scene, he can't drink, he can't associate with the wrong kind of people, right? And he's a forerunner of Jesus, but he's pointing to something. Jesus comes on the scene, he drinks, he makes wine. And he hangs around with all the wrong people. Why do we have this in Scripture? Because if John is the greatest of the prophets, but he who's least in the kingdom is greater than that, what we need to see, whenever you see Jesus come on the scene, he tends to polarize things. He tends to make them extreme. He comes on the scene and he amps up the law and puts it on steroids. What's he trying to do? He's trying to reveal that I need to show everybody on this planet... Now and in future, I need to show that everybody, there is a, an extreme that I'm trying to reveal here. And you're not going to see it unless you fully see me. I think that's why the psalm says, in his light we see light. That's a weird saying, isn't it? In his light we see light. In other words, we don't even know what light is until light comes on the scene. The light that we have in this room, you can see, correct? Yeah. Now imagine the manifest person of Jesus standing right here. He's light himself. It would make this look like a dark room, right? In his light, we see light. So he comes on the scene and he's saying, I'm trying to show a complete end of the spectrum from what you're used to here. John can't drink or be associated with the wrong people. Jesus drinks, makes wine, associates with the wrong people all the time. So what is the role of a New Testament prophet? Like all believers, the role of the New Testament prophet is the ministry of reconciliation. Everybody turn to Second Corinthians with me real quick. Second Corinthians chapter 5. It's the ministry of reconciliation. Everybody say reconciliation. reconciliation. Good, that's a good word. In the Old Covenant, Old Testament prophets were letting people know that they can't enter the kingdom because they deserve to be judged. Right? They pointed out problems and saying, God's going to do this punishment to you because you aren't keeping the rules. You can't do it. Old Covenant prophets, they let people know they can't enter the kingdom because they deserve to be judged. New Testament prophets, letting people know that they've been brought into the kingdom even though we didn't deserve it. You see the difference. One of them is about reconciliation. The other one is just about punishment. I have never in my life seen anyone punished into purity. Never. It won't work. It won't work. You punish people, you punish people, you punish people. I don't even use this language with my kids. I don't use that language in our home. You're going to be punished. If I use that kind of language with my children and tell them i are going to be punished, I am contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am. Because punishment comes from the word punitive. And punitive means to pay for. So if I tell my kids that you did something wrong, now you have to pay for it, what am I doing? I'm going back to Old Covenant realities. You guys with me? But they do get disciplined. Right, Jake? <laughs> They do get disciplined. I mean, choices have consequences. But what I'm really wanting to go after is not that they learn how to pay for what they did wrong. It's that they learn how to understand what is wrong with that and get it in their heart. They understand it. So it's not just their behavior that changed. It's the internal position of their heart that changes. When that changes, the behavior will change. I'm not interested in behavior modification. I'm more interested in spirit transformation. I want the Spirit. I was putting my eight-year-old to bed last night. And I just, lately, I just jump on the bed with him. And I straddle him. And I hold him down. And I tickle him. And, you know, I talk to him. But I put him to bed last night. And I, it was such a sweetness of the Lord with it. Because I could see him. He was even tearing up in his eyes. I was even tearing up my eyes. And I said, Son, have you been talking to Jesus? He goes, Oh, man, I haven't for a while. And I said, Just talk to him. He wants to talk to you so much. And I reminded him of something that he said a few weeks ago that I said, I really felt that was God talking to you. So pay attention to that. Pay attention to what that sounded like when that came in and you told me about that. Pay attention to that. You hear what I'm saying? Because that's discipline. That's taking and training someone up unto hearing the Lord. Because if he can hear the Lord, that's way better than him hearing just me and saying, don't do this. Do this. Don't do that. We've had such a huge shift from old covenant to new covenant. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this ought to change our perspective a little bit. You guys ready to get like totally messed up here? (laughs) Think about this. I didn't make this up. It's in the Word, all right? right. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says this. For the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. That word compel is great. It means really to hold together. It grips us very tight, and it holds us together. The love of Christ, this love, it holds me. It wraps me. Anybody want to be wrapped up in love? Come on, this is a good verse. The love of Christ, it wraps me up. It holds me together so tight. He says this, Because we judge thus, colon, meaning, The love of Christ holds me together so tight. And because of that, I have to judge this to be true. Are you ready? That if one died for all, then all died. Hmm. If one died for all, then all died. Are you guys with me? If one died for all, then all died. So the ministry of the New Testament believer, the New Testament prophet, is not one of going out and saying, you're going to die, you're going to go to hell. The ministry of the New Testament prophet and the believer is to go out and say, you've been made alive because you died with him. Let me bring good... Gospel, by definition, means good news. Why do we equate going to hell with Good news. I don't think it's good news. <laughs> good news, going to hell. Not working. I saw a couple of YouTube videos recently. Of, it, was really one of, it was really wonderful. It was an individual standing on a college campus, and it was kind of like the Westboro Baptist approach. You guys are familiar with some of that stuff, holding up the signs of repent, you sinners are going to hell, God hates this, God hates that. And they're like, and a guy walks up, and he just says, hey man, what are you doing? And this guy was a believer, but he really came from a new covenant approach instead of an old covenant. He said, what are you doing, man? He said, you're telling people, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, you're telling people all about what's wrong with them. They know what's wrong with them. Why don't you bring the good news? And he opens up his Bible, you know, and he starts talking about it. And the guy gets in a little bit of an argument, but a crowd starts to gather just to watch this argument. And the guy stands there and begins to preach the actual Gospel. I was like, yes. Here's what I saw. I saw a group of people that went from, ah, get out of here. We don't want to listen to that. Ah, this kind of stuff, to when the gospel was being preached, all of a sudden you could feel through the YouTube video the atmosphere change. Because that's good news. That's good news. For me to come to someone and say, listen, in Jesus Christ, when he died, he took you with him. So all that junk that you hate about your life, he actually killed it. You don't have to live like that anymore. See the difference between doing that and saying, don't live like that anymore? One of them is arrogant. One of them is prideful. One of them is asking someone to do something that we ourselves can't even do. The role of the Old Testament prophet was to judge. The role of the New Testament prophet is to rightly judge. In other words, rightly divide the word of truth. Bring people into the relationship with Jesus. Look what it goes on to say here, verse 15. And he died for all... That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, from when? Now on, we regard (laughs) no one according to the flesh. No one according to the flesh. It's so much more fun to walk out into the world and see somebody who's just living completely anti-Jesus, anti-church, anti-gospel, however you want to define it. To see them, but to see them through the eyes of Jesus and go, oh my gosh, I don't see the flesh. What I see is the spirit, that spirit man that God came and made alive inside of them, right? He made it, you know he made it alive in all of humanity, the spirit, right? Because he sent the Spirit into the world to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And if people had a dead spirit, how would they hear the Holy Spirit? Just a thought. So when I come in, I'm saying, listen, that stuff right there is... You don't have to live like this anymore. There's something more beautiful. There's something more awesome. You don't have to be bound by those things anymore. Answering the question of the heart. We as believers, we've got to learn how to answer the question of the heart instead of giving answers to questions that nobody's asking. To come up to someone and say, let me tell you about this, when they're not asking about that, doesn't make any sense. But to come up to someone and say, I've got a word from the Lord, and you may not say it that way, but i really sense this. And now you're starting to speak to something in their life, and you're answering the question of the heart. Then they start to go, aha, tell me more about that. We see that with David, what he's been doing with the ripple effect, right? You know, how many of you guys have gone down there, done the ripple effect? So fun, isn't it? To go down there and just see people coming up, and and this is going to weird some people out. He holds up signs and he says, free spiritual readings. And he has another sign that says, physician's assistance. Do you need healing? <laughs> I love that one. We're physician's assistants. That's exactly right. We're physician's assistants. You need healing? And to see co- people come up, get prayer, get healed, hear the word of the Lord, answering the question of their heart. Listen, this is a new covenant prophetic role for all of us as a people. So, Even Elijah in the Old Testament, think about this. Elijah in the Old Testament, I mean, miraculous signs and wonders he did. Prophets of Baal, that's a great story, right? Prophets of Baal, they set up their altar. He sets up his altar. He douses his with water. And he says, go ahead, pray to your God. Pray to your God. See if he'll call down fire on this altar. And they pray and they pray and they pray. And he starts to mock them. You know what you really should do is go read that passage of Scripture in Kings, in your Amplified Bible, because it's got really colorful language in it. He starts to mock him and he says, Where's your God? Is he sleeping? Ah, maybe he's on the toilet. Where is he? And then you know the story. He calls fire down, boom, licks everything up stones, wood, sacrifice, the whole nine yards, the water. And then he turns around and he kills 400 prophets. Dude's bad. Dude's awesome, bad, right? One prophet kills 400 other prophets. I really want to get to heaven and say, Give me that DVD. I'll rent that one for a weekend. <laughs> How did that look? Dude, one dude killing 400 prophets. It's like, this is the best action adventure. You guys like action adventure? Yeah, yeah, me too. It's like, I love that stuff. My wife can't stand it. She like watches about half of it with me and she's like, I'm out of (laughs) here. It's all the same thing. (laughs) I know, but it's awesome. It's a, it must be a guy thing. So here you've got Elijah. He's a bad dude. I mean, he's coming. He's bringing judgment. He's talking about all this stuff, killing prophets. My gosh, that's like the hardest core judgment you can get. He's going around killing prophets. And then Jesus says, I will send to you in Malachi. He says, I will send to you another in the spirit of Elijah. Right? Malachi 3, in the spirit of Elijah. And it says he won't bring judgment. It says he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Why? Because it's a completely new reality. There's a completely new covenant. that Come on, somebody say good to that. Hallelujah. That's one. It's a new covenant we live in, not an old one. It's not a new one in the sense that it's just a little bit better than the old one. And we don't have to kill animals anymore. It's not It's way better. The word new, even in Greek, is not new as in a new form of the old. It's new in the sense of... Well, I'll use the example. I'll use it again. I've got an old Suzu Trooper I drive. It's a boat anchor. I'd like to have a new car. But getting a new car, getting even a brand new 2014 or 2015 new car, wouldn't even do justice to the word new in the new covenant because that would just be something new that's kind of like what i had that's old right new and new covenant would be like me trading in my trooper and getting the millennium falcon Uh like getting an x-wing fighter it'd be like completely different kind of new like this you used to drive on the ground with that thing this thing flies in the air and flies in outer space That's that kind of new. Come on, is this good news to you? It's the same one. If anyone is in Christ, he's a what? New creation. You're not just a better version of the old. You're a completely new version. And your life as a believer is going to be spent discovering what kind of new that is. Your life as a believer is to tell other people, let me help you discover what that new is. This is a crazy kind of new. You don't get it. Well, you don't know my past. It doesn't matter. That is so old, and it says there that the things that were old, they're passed away. Old things have become new. If anyone is a new creation, or if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Is this helping you guys? I know we're talking about false prophets, but this is, this is important for us to have this bedrock understanding. All things have become new. There's two kinds of false prophets in the Bible. When we get into New Covenant, now that we've established that this is what New Covenant prophet does, there's two kinds that we see in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 16, you don't have to turn there, but you probably know the story. Paul and Silas are traveling with a caravan of people, and there's this little young girl who starts to say things like, This are the prophets of God. They speak the word of the Lord. She starts saying this. Is it accurate? Yeah, it's, actually, it's really accurate. But it says that Paul, he gets so like upset with it, he turns around and he rebukes it and he says, come out of her right now. Hmm. False prophets don't have to say the wrong thing. False prophets just have to be under a different kind of anointing. Because you can hear the right thing from the wrong source. This is why discerning of spirits is so important. Another gift that's given in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Discerning of spirits. Of understanding. Is that holy? Is it demonic? Or is it flesh? Where is it coming from? This is a really... I want discerning of spirits. I want to operate it in a lot. Because I can determine really quickly then if that's holy, flesh, or demonic. Where's it coming from? He doesn't even say... He doesn't even disparage her. As, As a leader in the New Testament, he doesn't disparage her. He looks at the spirit. He says, get out of her. Get out of her. You're you're ripping her off is what you're doing. She may be saying the right thing, but you're ripping her off. It doesn't have to be a lie to be false. Another example here, Agabus in Acts 21. You don't need to turn there. You guys know the story of Agabus. He's probably one of the, even though he's not spoken of a lot, he is spoken up as a prophet, a new covenant prophet. Agabus prophesies to Paul at one point. He takes off Paul's belt and he binds himself up with it. and He says, so this is going to happen to you that the Jews are going to bind you up and hand you to the Gentiles. But did you read the story from Acts 21 through 22, 23, and 24? You know what you find out? That that's not really what happened. That actually it was the Gentiles that bound him up and handed him to the Jews. Now, why is this important? It seems like a small deal. Shouldn't he be stoned for that? He was a prophet. Shouldn't he be stoned for that? Because he got the word wrong. Again, Old covenant, they received the word. New covenant, you perceive the word. He got the heart of it right. He did get bound up, but it wasn't bound up by the Jews and handed to the Gentiles. He was bound up by the Gentiles and handed to the Jews. Now, this may seem like something small, but it's really important, especially if you're the one getting bound up. He also prophesied when he was on the ship. He also prophesied. He said, I perceive from the Lord that everybody on this ship is going to die. We're going to lose the ship, lose the cargo, and everybody's going to die. And he says this to him. He says it to the captain, says it to everybody. A little while later, the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, yeah, you're going to lose the ship, you're going to lose the cargo, but everybody's going to be okay. So we got the word wrong. Should we stone him? When are we going to get it into us? 1 Corinthians 12 says, we know in part and we what? prophesy in part. It's so important that we go ahead and speak what the word of the Lord is without living in fear that you're going to get it wrong. Trust that the body of Christ has the same Holy Spirit inside of us. And I say this to people. If somebody comes to you and gives you a prophetic word, they are responsible for what they release out of their mouth. But you are just as responsible for what you receive into your heart. If it's a word that comes and it resonates with you, you go, yeah, okay, God, thank you, God, for that. If it's something that comes and it's not quite off, just say, okay, Lord, show me what that means. Because there may be something good in it or maybe something really bad. But we are responsible with what we do with the Word. We do not live in Old Covenant prophetic realities where the, where the prophet comes and it's the Word. It's the absolute Word. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Judge the Word. We have the responsibility to judge the Word ourselves. Romans eleven twenty nine. The giftings and the callings of God are irrevocable. That You might want to highlight that one. That's a good one to remember. The giftings and the callings of the Lord are irrevocable. The word really is without repentance. In other words, when God gives them to you, he doesn't change his mind. He gives them to you, he doesn't change his mind. You've got them. Giftings and callings. We see this throughout scripture, but there is a difference. There's a gifting, there's a calling, and there's an anointing. A gifting, a calling, an anointing. The gifts come from Holy Spirit, come from the Father, come from Jesus, right? The callings are those offices that God puts on you. Ephesians 4, he says he gave some to be. Not everybody carries those things. Some carry these things. But those callings and those giftings, they're irrevocable. In other words, you can receive that from the Lord, decide you're not going to walk with the Lord anymore, and say, I'm done with that. I'm not going to walk with the Lord. You know what? He leaves those giftings and callings on you. How do you think fortune tellers work? They have a gift. Hello? Right? Are you guys still with me in the room? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, fortune readers, crystal balls, tarot cards, all that stuff. They have a gift. They're just under the wrong anointing. Because anointings are for task. And you can be under the right anointing or you can be under a, a wrong anointing. And the wrong anointing may bring something, but it's not going to be holy. I think this is really interesting. That Jesus Christ, that's not a first and last name. It's Jesus the Christ. Do you know what Christ means? The anointed one. (laughs) Ha ha, isn't that interesting? So if I'm disconnected from the anointed one, I'm going to have a different kind of anointing. I'm going to get a different kind of, yeah, say that right there. I can carry the gifts. Are you guys tracking with me? You can carry the gifts and the callings, but when we step out of that and we say, I'm not going to have anything to do with that anymore, now I'm under a different anointing. He's the anointed one, the one from Christ. You have to know him to be anointed by him. That's why Matthew 7:23. when they come to me and say, to Jesus and say, didn't I cast out demons? Didn't we do all this? And he goes, depart from me. I didn't know you. In other words, you may have done that kind of stuff. As a matter of fact, he didn't correct him. He didn't even say, "Ah, oh, yes, prove it that you did those things. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even argue with them. He just says, "Ah, get away. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You who practice lawlessness, just depart from me. Why? Because they didn't know who he was. You guys remember what happened in Acts where the uh, chief priest and the seven sons of Sceva saw all this exorcism stuff going on, all this demon casting out, and they were like fascinated by it. And they said, oh, let's try that. Let's go give that a shot. So they go to the demons and they say, in the name of this Jesus that Paul knows, I rebuke you. You guys know what happened to them. Beat the crud out of them, took their clothes off and made them run naked out of the house. Why? They didn't know Jesus. It's so important. Everything about new covenant realities, prophecy and the prophet is drawing people into intimacy with Jesus. That's what the core is. That's what the goal is. Gifting callings will stay, but the anointing will come from the devil if you step away from it. And I'm not talking about, I'm not trying to put fear in you, all right? I'm not saying, oh God, if I don't, man, if I do something wrong, then I'm gonna hear the devil. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this deciding to go in a completely different direction. The callings will stay. The giftings will stay. But it's just Satan sending traffic down a highway that God made. If we can look at it like that. He's sending his vehicles down a highway that God built. Turn over to 1 John. Everybody still with me? We're going to wrap it up here because I'm actually going to give you what I came to give you. That was just the precursor to the message. Here comes the message. All right. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to walk through this thing. And I've got some things here that may help us. What does false prophet look like? A false prophet is not primarily defined as someone who gets the word wrong because otherwise Paul would have been a false prophet. Agabus would have been a false prophet because he was prophesying things that weren't totally accurate. Are we all together on that? Yeah. Can we just understand that? That a false prophet is not defined in a new covenant sense by someone who gets something wrong because we know in part, we prophesy in part. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Now let me give you a little background on this. This book of 1 John was written primarily... To the church because of a heresy that had entered into the church called Gnosticism. Gnosticism is the belief that says everything is super spiritual. It's all about the spirit, it's all about everything way up here. It's all about that. The flesh means nothing. As a matter of fact, the flesh is actually evil. It's not true. Nothing good can come from the flesh, we know that. But we have these bodies. Gnostics in that time They would actually say to married people That you shouldn't have sex with your wife Or with your husband Because that's physical pleasure And you shouldn't do that You see how this is ridiculous He was addressing this Because they had gotten so much Into this hyper-spiritual way of living That they denied that there was Any practical living application here The only problem with that is We don't get anything done on this planet If everything in the spirit Has to do with just Way up here like, I, I love visions and stuff, and I know this because I've seen it in times past. For me, we were talking about it this morning, there's a blue angel that follows me. It's blue. I know it. I've seen it. I haven't seen his face, but now that may be weird some people out here. But you know, angels do exist, okay? <laughs> Andrew, you're worshiping angels. I'm not worshiping angels. It's foolish to worship angels. It's equally foolish to ignore them. I got a blue angel that follows me around. That's much as I've seen. I'm going, God, who is that? What's his name? What does he do? Right? Because they're ministering spirits sent on our behalf. Right? So I want to know what they are. Now, I'm fine with that. But for me to spend all my time focusing on blue angels. And I saw these blue orbs. And I see something over your shoulder right there. And I see purple and white. And it's got this cross thing. And it comes down like that. and it's That's cool. But what does that mean? How does that come down into reality to where it brings transformation into life? Everybody's with me, right? How does it bring transformation into life? So the Gnostics were all about this. They're all about this super hyper spiritual stuff. Nothing happening, nothing good can happen in the body. So let's read through this. First John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether are they from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I think this is really interesting when people tell me, oh, we don't have anything as prophets anymore. That died with the apostolic era, all that. We don't have prophets anymore. I think that's really interesting because here we have this. You'll use this passage of Scripture to talk about life. If there's false prophets, that intimates there are true prophets, right? (laughs) So there's got to be some. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is God. Why is he saying that? Remember, he's talking to Gnostics. Flesh means nothing. Jesus was never in the flesh to a Gnostic. It was just an apparition. He showed up on the scene. You take the, you take the humanity out of Jesus, we don't have a gospel anymore. Yeah. He had to become one of us. Otherwise, it wouldn't mean anything. It'd be a counterfeit. So he says, test to see. By this you know it's the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the what? Antichrist. Isn't that interesting? Remember what Christ means? Anointed one. So an antichrist is anti-anointing. They don't want that anointing. They'll take something else, but they don't want that one. A Gnostic, an antichrist, does not believe in the transforming work of Jesus Christ. It's hyper-spirituality with zero power to it. That's called religion. Religion. That's what religion is. a super spiritual people that have no power in their life. You can see all day long in the spirit realm, but there's no transforming work of Jesus Christ in your life. Look down at verse 5 here. It says this. Well, verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. I think that's interesting. For a false prophet, because this is what he's trying to find, discover here, for a false prophet. False prophets are those that can only speak on a worldly level. They can, only, they can only identify what's going on on this planet. That's why I say to people who stand with the signs and they're doing this thing and bringing judgment and stuff, that really kind of falls into that. You're deceived because you're falling into that false prophet thing there because all you see is the world. All you can see is homosexuality, alcoholism. That's all you can see. True prophets see something way beyond that and they speak that into them. Let me read that again. Verse 5. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. I love verse 6. This is a good one. He who knows God knows his body. He knows us. False prophets live isolated. They live outside the camp, want to get a word from the Lord, come into the ones that are all together, say, this is what the word of the Lord says, and then want to disappear again. Come on, this is good stuff, right? They want to disappear. They want to go live on, I got the word of the Lord. I've got the word. I have, I have the word of the Lord. God told me. When people use those words with me an awful lot, I get really skittish. God told me. God told me. God told me. God told me. Really? Really? had someone a while back say this to me. I was talking about stuff going on in the church. It was not here. It was somewhere else. And I was having a bit of an issue of how things were functioning in the church. And they wanted to give prophetic words to people. But it was like totally like, this is not right. This is totally not right at all. And they said to me, well, God, I have to do whatever God tells me to do. And I said, good. That's wonderful because God's speaking to you right now through me. Why? Because I'm a part of the body too. I happened to have a responsibility at that church we were pastoring and someone wanted to give words of judgment over the body. And he goes, well, I only have to do what God's telling me to do. And I said, that's great. Do what God's telling you to do. But he's speaking through me right now. You like that? <laughs> because it's about the body. It's about the body of Christ. Listen to this again. Verse 6. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. A false prophet is someone who can't hear the body. They can't have anything to do with them. It's all about... Me and Jesus. Just me and Jesus. Me and Jesus. Well, man, you are one weird-looking piece of the body then. Because the Scripture says that we are all parts of the body. And if I'm a pinky, and you're a, say you're an elbow, and I'm a pinky, and you're just saying it's you and Jesus, so you got this head, which is beautiful, and this funky elbow, this gimpy elbow sticking off to the side. It's like, is that the body of Christ? No, it's not. We need each other. We need each other throughout this. Here's another thing about false prophets that want to live with just me and Jesus only. If you try to correct them on it, it'll only validate their ministry, because so the church persecuted, Je- or so they persecuted Jesus. Now they're persecuting me. They take on a martyr complex. Well, I can't, man. Everybody just beats me up wherever I go. Really? Well, you're asking for it, buddy. <laughs> Think about this for a moment. If the church is the body in macro form, and the body is the church in micro form, would it be cool to let somebody come into your house? You have an open house. You're inviting people in. You're saying, hey, everybody come in. We're going to have a nice party here. And then somebody you don't know comes in and all of a sudden tells you, you need to change the way you have your furniture set up there. That's not right. That color is really bad on your wall. That, wouldn't that be awkward? Somebody you don't know. But if you were in relationship with somebody and they were to come in and say, hey, it'd be, that'd be good if you'd turn this around. You hear what I'm saying, right? Why? Because you're connected to them. Why? It's because of the way the body of Christ is designed. We're supposed to be connected to each other. Verse 7 and 9. I'm moving on. You guys remember this, a song from years ago, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God. Right, we know that. Did you know that when we sing that, we're talking about false prophets? It's all in the context of false prophets. It's crazy, I know, but it really is. In other words, love looks like something... Don't tell me you love me and come give me a word and you're not invested in my life. As a matter of fact, the, to the degree that you're invested in my life, that's the, that's the, the, to that degree you will have influence in my life. Good. That's really good. To the degree that you're invested in my life, that's the degree you will have influence in my life. If I don't know you and you don't want to get to know me, I might, I'll take the word, but I'm going to, you know, there's a bunch of filters that thing's going to go through. But when I really know you and you're really invested in my life, man, come on, bring it. Bring the heat even. Because I don't want to stay the same person that I am. Love looks like something. It's not just words. (laughs) That's why Jesus replies to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. That's lawlessness. Get away from me. It's like, remember the lawlessness? I'm going to be done here. Remember the man who built his house on the rock and the man who built his house on the sand? Remember that, right? And he says, that man was foolish. Foolish. And he says that that was lawlessness. Do you know what that does? It's like false prophets, they want to take passages of Scripture, what I call monolithic. They take monolithic passages of Scripture and build their entire life doctrine on it instead of taking the comprehensiveness of Scripture. That's what he's talking about, the foolish man. He built it on sand. What is sand? Tiny pieces of rock. So they take one revelation, one little piece of sand, and they build their life on that instead of coming to the foundational bedrock of the church and the people of God. Build it. Peter, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Wow, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal yet to you, but my father who's in heaven. And I tell you this, Simon, your name is Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. In other words, he says to you, Simon, I'm going to change your name to Peter, which means stone, but it means a little stone. And he says on this rock, Petros, stone, Peter, Petra, rock foundation. He goes on that rock. I'm going to build my church. That foundational thing of Jesus, you're the Christ. You are the son of the living God on that thing. I'm going to build my church. If you try to build off of one little revelation over here, a little, little piece of sand, you're going to mess up. That's lawlessness. That's lawlessness in itself. Is this making sense? Okay. I feel like I just fed you with a fire hose. False prophets guys. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Because uh, that's another thing false prophets use, because it goes on here in verse chapter 4 of verse 18. And all this is in the context of what he's talking about. Verse 18, it says, There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Does anybody in your passage have punishment? That's what the word means. Fear involves punishment. Fear, bad. Love. Yeah. Say it again. Fear, bad. Love, good. Yeah, so when false prophets come along and they start releasing prophecy that instills fear, that ain't God. Had someone? I remember, guys, I've grown up in the church. I've been around this my entire life. People standing up and giving prophecies. I heard it recently, and I heard it when I was 10 or 11 years old. Somebody said, saying to me, the beast with seven horns has been released into the world. Cool. What are we going to do about it? Because one of them, if you don't do anything and you just listen to it, it puts you in fear. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? The beast. (laughs) Well, the last time I checked, I've got the kingdom of God inside of me. And that doesn't stand a chance. So even if you've got a word about something bad, man, you better be bringing something good. Otherwise, it's not good news anymore. If somebody says, yeah, I feel like there's about to be, this may happen. I feel like there is about to be this awful earthquake in San Francisco. The Lord showed me there's going to be an awful earthquake in San Francisco and it's going to kill thousands of people. Okay, well, that would be old covenant prophecy. You live in new covenant. You got the kingdom of God inside of you. What do you say to that? Because it could be be that God is revealing something to you. Hello? What do you do with it? Okay, Jesus, right now, I'm praying that that not happen because you revealed that to me, but I have the kingdom inside of me and I can change what happens in the earth. Right? I can change what happens in the earth. So I'm praying right now, no loss of life. No loss of life. I pray that thing happened in a location that's so far that it just doesn't mess with anybody. You guys tracking with me, right? This is new covenant prophecy. We have the ability to change the culture around us. It's what forth and foretelling does. Forth shows what's in the future. Foretelling shows what's in the future. Forth says I'm creating it. I'll create the future. So, if God, you're showing that to me, then I'm just going to right now begin to declare and begin to decree that no harm will come to to human life, and that everybody that is around, whatever does happen there, that they come to know you. Come on, does this sound good to you guys? This is what we're. Let's all stand together. There's no punishment. There's no fear. Words of edification, exhortation, building up. This is what we're after. Oh, God, help us. Say this with me. I want to be a prophetic believer. I I will carry the kingdom of God with me. I (laughs) dare you. I dare you. I will speak life. Encouragement. Encouragement, hope, and a future, in a future. To, myself, to myself, to my family, to, my family. to, the, church, to the church, and to the, to the world around me. Good, that's good. That felt like a good declaration. Yeah, Lord, just center us. Center us on your heart, Lord God. Make our heartbeats, as we yield to you, make our heartbeats beat with yours. I want to breathe in when you breathe in. I want to see what you see. That's what I'm after. Oh, Jesus, help us, help us, help us. Lord, we yield to your grace. We yield to your favor, to your wisdom. And we just choose not to be a people that live isolated and on our own. We choose to be a people that live in the body of Christ, that grow, grow into the fullness of what you have designed for us, that we as a body begin to look like you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your kindness and for your mercy, Lord. Lord, in all these things, we don't ever want our words just to be words that go into our ears and tickle our ears. Lord, bring the transforming work, the miracle-working power of your Holy Spirit that resides inside of us. Lord, we release it. I release it inside of myself to transform me and release it to transform the look of your church, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. You guys ready to do some offerings?